Got your Bibles, take them out with me, please, and turn to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew 26, in a few moments, we're gonna look at verse 36. As you are turning, man, I I hope you're doing well through these 21 days of prayer and fasting. You are two-thirds of the way through it. I hope that you are benefiting from that. And if you haven't started participating, man, this is a great time for this final week. Just uh, determine what you wanna do for the Lord and and, uh, whether that's a food, uh, uh, whatever that is, however you wanna do. There's uh, devotional guides. There's also fasting guides that are available for you online. And we've got some copies here. And um, make your decision on this final week and see what God is gonna do. I'm praying for you that God is going to just do a wonderful, changing, transforming work in your life and in my life for the remaining part of this. I'm excited because it's all building and it's all culminating next Sunday morning and, um, and starting Sunday is just a big day for us because next Sunday we're gonna believe for miracles and for healing and for deliverance and for all types of things for your life. Whatever you need, we're believing that God is gonna do that as he builds our faith during these 21 days of prayer and fasting. That's next Sunday morning at both services. At the end of service, we're going to have um, uh, an extended time of prayer for everyone who would like to be anointed with oil and have the prayer of faith prayed over them. We believe that God still hears prayers and God still answers prayers today. Amen? We believe that. And so... That's Sunday morning, and then immediately following that, we are going right into four nights of revival. And I'm so excited about this because uh, starting Sunday night, um, Dr. Mark Rutland will be with us. And then um, Monday night, Tony Stewart. uh, Tuesday night, Joe Dobbins. And Wednesday night, uh, Bill Lee. Most of these have been speakers here before, and you know, and have done such a marvelous job. And I'm so excited about them being here. So I'm asking you during this last week, two things. I want you to pray for next Sunday morning service. I want you to pray for our revival that God does the spiritual renewal in each of our hearts. And I want you to make a decision. You got a decision to make today. Will I participate in revival? I know it's four nights out of your week. I'm doing it one time this year. But I'm not doing it so that I can have more church. I'm doing it because I believe God is leading us into a moment that he's gonna transform your life and my life. And I'm praying for you. I want you to make plans to be here. If you have children, we've got nursery, we've got children's ministry going on each night of the revival. So I just want you to know, I want you to be a part of this and you need to decide and make a decision. And I hope you'll be a part of this as well because I'm praying for what God wants to do in your life and my life as well. Well, a couple of weeks ago, we started a brand new series called Time for a Change. And we're looking at the deep change and the real change God wants to do in our lives. And we've talked about um, how to uh, sort of uh, deal with some things in our lives. But the the main part of the, the whole message series is it's about becoming the type of person Christ has called us to be. The very essence of who we are being changed to become who Christ wants you and I to be. Because I have I've yet to meet a, meet a Christian that has told me, yeah, I've accepted Christ. I don't want to be anything like him, but I've accepted him. You know, I just, I accepted him, don't want to, you know, don't want to, don't want to go to the bad place. I know there's children in here. I don't want to do that. You know, there, there's, in essence, I haven't met someone that's just meeting Christ wanting to buy fire insurance, okay? That's not it. I've never met a Christian that truly loves Jesus that says, I don't want to be like him. But we struggle and we strive so much to be like him. I think we've got to understand why we do what we do so that we can make the changes that he wants to make in us. And if you find yourself in a constant struggle on a daily battle 
to say, you know, I want to live this way, and then I see these things in me, and I was just hoping this stuff would have been done by now. In Romans chapter 7, Paul, the apostle, one of the greatest leaders in the church, Paul at the very end writes this. He says, I don't understand it. He says, I don't do the things that I want to do, and I do the things that I don't want to do. And he goes on and says, what a wretched man that I am. Who will save me from this wretchedness? But then immediately he says, it's through Christ. It's through his power. It's through his spirit. And then he immediately in chapter 8, so no, this is a free-flowing thought, okay? So I know we divide it up in, in chapters and verses, and, and that's all good. We need that, because if not, these would just be long-flowing letters and we'd never be able to find anything. I'm all for the chapters and verses. I like to know the zip code so I can find where it is, okay? That's fine. But don't stop at chapter 7 and think, he went away for two months and came back and wrote chapter 8. This is flowing. So he says, what a wretched man that I am. Christ is the answer to this. And then he immediately goes into, so there is now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. So he says this, I struggle daily with the person that I want to be and the person that I am now coming in constant conflict with each other. The Bible calls it spirit and flesh warring against each other so that I can become the person Christ has called me to be. And the good news today is this. You're not alone in your struggle. God knew you were going to have it. And God has given you the power to overcome those struggles. But it's going to take some changes in your life some decisions in your life, and some disciplines in your life. I want to talk to you for the next few moments about how to change your habits in your life. Let's pray. Lord, in these next few moments, speak to us. I willingly, readily admit these people don't need to hear from me. They need to hear from you. So let me be a mouthpiece and a conduit of your word so that you can accomplish in us everything you want to accomplish. Anoint the word as it goes forth and on our ears to hear and our hearts to receive so that at the end of it, Lord, we'll become more like Jesus Christ and your will will be done. And we ask it in Christ's name, amen and amen. If you've been with us, I wanna take you back through for just a moment, just to recap, because it's important as we make this, we're making a turn this morning. We're making a, kind of a, making a transition from where we've been. And if you haven't been with us, I'm gonna to try to catch you up on this. One of the things is this, is that change that we're looking for, this change literally only happens when two things intersect when our emotional health and spiritual depth are allowed to come together. To put it like this, if you can see this diagram up here uh, as they put it up. So you see spiritual depth. These are the things that we do. This is the, 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 this is the, the Bible reading, the prayer, the, all the things, the, the depth as we grow in these things, the things that God wants to do in us. This is our emotional health. I'll go through what emotional health is in just a minute. We're not, we're not talking about I'm not talking about psychology. I'm talking about the, the reality of who you are. But the only time change will take place is when you allow God and the things he wants to begin to intersect into your life. That's the place where change takes place. As long as it remains on the pages of the Bible and I don't allow it in my heart, change never takes place. And so I have to allow it there. Now, it's very important that we understand the emotional health that we have. And the reason for that is you've got to understand why you do what you do 
and why you want what you want. Explain it to you this way, next chart you can put up. So at the very top, this is a recap. What you want is your desires, okay? Your desire is what you want. What you truly want, not what you state you want. Okay, because there's a, there's a difference between that, okay? If, um, if on a non-spiritual basis, if I tell you my desire, okay, is to eat better and get in better shape physically, right? That's, that's my stated desire, you say. That's your desire in this. But I don't do anything about it. And every time I get stressed, I go and, you know, run to the, to the kitchen and eat food every time I'm stressed in this. What's my real desire? My desire is to use food to cope with a problem I refuse to bring before the Lord. Do you see what I that, So stated desire, real desire. What I mean by this is what you want, not what you tell people you want. What do you want? That's your desire. You move to the right. How you believe you get it. This is what I want. How do I believe I'm supposed to get that? So you move from desire to beliefs. This is why I do what I do. This is how I believe I'm gonna get the things that I desire in my life. Move to the bottom. How you feel when you do or you don't have it. These are your emotions. These are your thoughts in this. So this is how I feel. So understand, there's a, a real desire. There's a belief on how I get it. And then there's a feeling if I do or if I don't have it, which leads to the fourth one, which is what you do to stop or to keep feeling that way. Those are your actions. All of these affect the things that you do and your actions will then affect your desire, whether your desire is being fulfilled or lacking, whether you want to increase, decrease, change, whatever. Actions. The important thing I need you to see this morning is this, is that we have been literally necessarily spending a lot of times on understanding why you feel understanding your background, understanding the things that have made you who you are. We've talked about embracing your feelings. We've talked about understanding those things. We've talked about facing your past, how that even though you have a background, you have a family, you have all of these experiences that will affect, and you need to know that they affect you. They don't have to have dominion over you. They don't have to literally rule over your life. Today, we are taking a change and a turn based on that. We're not leaving those but we can't stay there, and here's why. Because if we're not careful, we'll start to assume that spiritual depth and emotional health are based on your feelings, and they're not. They're based on practices. And what you practice is what you get. Let me say it like this. It'll be on the screen. Jesus gives me a relationship with God, but my actions are what makes me feel close to God. Jesus said it like this, if you draw near to me, I will draw near to you. Not spiritual thought, not good intentions, but actions. Notice, he, he didn't say, if you, if you do this, if you think on this, if you, if, you, if you dwell on this, he said, if you draw near, there's an action step in drawing near to God and him drawing near to you. So there are actions that we have to take in order to feel closer to God. So if you want to get closer to God, you've got to do the things 
that are necessary to get close to God. And today we're going to talk about that. They're called spiritual disciplines. Dallas Willard said it like this. He's a scholar and a leading thinker and leader in discipleship. He said, the will to do God's will can only become reality as we take action in our lives. So it requires action in this. So let me give you a definition of what spiritual disciplines are. Very generic, but it's any activity that makes me more capable of receiving God's life and his power. So any activity that makes me more capable of receiving God's, more of God's life and his power. And with a parenthetical thought here, that is not harmful to me or anyone else. Spiritual disciplines have gotten a bad rap over the last, um, uh, well, the last few hundred years, but there's, it always seems to be a time where they start these things start rising up and get more attention. Um, hundreds of years ago in monasteries, monks would go and they would consider basically the, the value of the extremity of asceticism or setting aside of different things that they allowed the, or they did away with, like extreme fasting, to the point that they would become emaciated. And they would judge whether or not they were being holy and spiritual by the emaciated look that they had. That's not spiritual disciplines. Okay? That's not what God's asking. Or what was, what was called self-harm or flagellation where they would try to punish themselves with whips over the things. God didn't call you to anything. Spiritual disciplines will not cause harm to you or to anyone else. At the same time, it, spiritual disciplines are also not an excuse to treat yourself or someone else badly. Jesus said it like this. He was talking to the religious leaders at the time, and he said, you guys are a bunch of hypocrites. He said, you will tithe on everything. You will tithe down to the, 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 the herbs and the, the mint and all of these fine little, little, um, little things. You'll, you'll, you'll make sure you tithe on everything, but you neglect taking care of those who are in need like your families. And you say, I'm going to take the money that I would give to taking care of my family, and I'm going to give it to the Lord instead. He said, you ought to be doing those things, but don't you neglect these things over here. You're missing. You're harming them in order to make yourself feel more spiritual. So in essence, they were using God as an excuse for their selfish behavior. Let me give you something. This, I don't know if this is a spiritual truth or if this is a Walters, Waltersism, okay? But don't blame bad behavior on devotion to God. Don't do that. And don't use spiritual disciplines as an excuse for bad behavior. There's a great example in uh, Matthew chapter 26. I've told you, you, you should have that in your Bibles, starting at verse 36. It's where Jesus has spent the entirety of his night with his disciples the night before he is going to be crucified. And he spends that time with them, as we've looked at the last couple of weeks, um, establishing the Lord's Supper, washing the, the disciples' feet, teaching them. And now after they finish that, they leave that place and they go for a time of prayer. So in verse 36, it says, Jesus went with them to an olive grove called Gethsemane. And he said, sit here while I go over there to pray. He took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. He told him, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here, keep watch with me. He went on a little farther and bowed with his face to the ground saying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. 
Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Then he returned to the disciples and found them asleep. And he said to Peter, couldn't you watch with me even one hour? Keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation for the spirit is willing and the body is weak. So all of his disciples go to Gethsemane with him. He takes three of them, James, John, Peter, a little closer. He goes and he prays and he comes back with them and he asks them to keep watch. He goes and he prays, comes back and he finds them asleep and he says to Peter, you need to keep watch because temptation is coming your way and you need to be ready for that temptation. He goes away again. The account goes on and it tells us that he goes back to pray. He comes back to his disciples and he sees them asleep again. He wakes them again and he tells them, keep watch, keep praying. You need this. I need this. I need you to pray for me. You need to pray for yourselves right now. You have no idea what's around the corner. The third time he goes back and he prays and he comes back to them and they're asleep. And this time he says, awaken, rise. The betrayer is here now. It's where we pick it up in verse 51. In verse 51, it says, then the others grabbed Jesus and arrested him. But one of the men with Jesus pulled out his sword and struck the high priest's slave, slashing off his ear. Put away your sword, Jesus told him. Those who use the sword will die by the sword. Don't you realize that I could ask my father for thousands of angels to protect us and he would send them instantly? But if I did, how would the scriptures be fulfilled that describe what must happen? Now, the other accounts tell us that that person that picked up the sword that tried to defend Jesus with a carnal weapon was none other than Simon Peter. The one he said, I need you to pray. I need you to watch because you're going to be tempted. You need this as much as I need this. And Simon Peter does what he, what he has absolutely no business to. He's a fisherman. But so he cuts the guy's ear off, okay? Fisherman, not aiming for the ear, okay? He's going to defend him. But he's got bad aim, cuts the guy's ear off. Jesus heals the guy's ear at that moment. And all of a sudden, all of the disciples desert him. Simon Peter is going to deny him three times before that night's over. This is the same Simon Peter, the same disciples. All of them pledged their loyalty, but Simon Peter went a little fur, uh, further and he said, oh, these guys, I know what they're saying. These guys, they're all gonna abandon you probably, but not me. I'll give my life for you. When you read the passage, it's easy to almost overlook how simple the lesson is. Jesus stood in power and authority in the kingdom of God, healed a man that was going to arrest him, stood tall and refused to shirk away from the, vision, from the purpose that God had given him in his life. Jesus was the one praying. Peter's the one who said, I'll give my life for you. I'll give my all. But Peter's not praying. He's sleeping. While Jesus prayed, Peter slept. And Peter goes on and does these devastating acts that didn't have to happen necessarily. Now, I don't know exactly how this would have played out if Peter had prayed when Jesus told him to. But because Jesus came back so many times to tell him, I believe that there's a difference that could have been made if he had spent his time like Jesus spent his time. And here is 
the truth I need you to see. If we want to act like Jesus did, we must do what Jesus did. If you want those things to be preeminent in your life, the things of God, you've got to do the things of God in your life. Now, I, I know I can't speak for you, but I can speak for me. And I know everybody in this room is probably a lot more holy than I am. I get it. But when I find myself overreacting, being overly aggressive or defensive, it's usually because I haven't spent enough time in prayer. Because my public life is a reflection of my private life. My spontaneous reactions are a direct reflection of my intentional private disciplines in my life. And before you think that I'm getting on to you or talking down to you, I want to remind you, Paul writes in Romans chapter 7, this is a constant struggle that I have. And yet I know I have Christ's power. Listen, I get it. I get it. I get it so deeply. I, I, I wish I could tell you that this is a, a marker that's set. And at some point, you're just going to cross that marker and go, Phew. I don't have to deal with that stuff anymore. The flesh and the spirit are going to war constantly until you are in the presence of Jesus alive forevermore. I found myself this week as I'm preparing the message, knowing, knowing the things I'm going to say, knowing all of this. I knew I had to face a situation in, just in my personal life. And I knew that it was going to be difficult. I knew it was going to be emotional. And so as I'm getting to the place where I knew I was going to have to do this um, the thing that was taking place. I prepared myself mentally going through. What is it going to feel like? What is it going to look like? What, how, how am I going to feel during those things? But what I neglected to do more than anything was to not just process mentally and emotionally. I didn't spend an adequate amount of time spiritually praying at that moment. I spent a lot of time thinking about it but not a lot of time surrendering it to the Lord and asking God for those moments. And what I wound up doing was at a moment, so when I say so uncharacteristic, um, I am intentionally and kind of known as a man who measures his words carefully. It's not that I don't think it, I just don't say it. <laughs> but in this moment that I neglected to pray, enough and yield it to God. At this, in this moment, I allowed a comment to come out that was real, it was raw, it was emotional, but it was also harmful to someone else. As soon as it happened, I went, oh, what have you done? You got to go back and fix that. Can I just tell you something? There's never a finish line to the battle that the flesh and the spirit will wage until you stand in the presence of Jesus. But there are some things that you can do that condition your heart 
to become the person Christ has called you to be. You don't have to be ruled by your emotions. You can be ruled by his word that speaks into every situation and every circumstance. There's another example in Mark chapter 9 where Jesus is with these three same disciples, Peter, James, and John. They are up on what is called the Mount of Transfiguration. They've given this unbelievable honor of seeing Jesus glorified in their presence. And Moses and Elijah are there, and the Father is speaking at that moment. And they get to witness all of this. And then they come down from the mountain, and the other disciples and religious leaders are at the bottom of the mountain. And at the bottom of the mountain, there is a skirmish that is going on, an argument that is taking place, because there is a man who brought his son, and his son is oppressed and possessed by a demon who is literally harming this child. And they are trying their best to, to, to get rid of it and cast it out, and they can't. And so the man says, I brought him to your disciples. They couldn't. And Jesus looks at his disciples, and this... For a long time, I just went, well, that's kind of harsh. But he looks at them and says, how long do I have to be with you all in order for you to do the things I've called you to do? Now, I want you to see something here. Mark chapter 9, look at verse 28 to start with. After all of it happens, when, when Jesus comes down, he casts the demon out. He heals this boy. The boy and his father go away. Everyone leaves, and they go into the house. And verse 28 says, and when Jesus had come into the house... His disciples ask him privately, why could we not cast it out? Now, there's a reason they ask this question. Because previously, Jesus has sent them out two by two and said, go, go into every town that you see, preach the good news, heal the sick, cast out demons, preach the coming of the, of the kingdom of God. Tell them what they've long waited for is here. And they did. They came back and they said, we healed the sick. We cast out demons. Even demons are afraid of us. It's not like they're novices. It's not like they've never done this before. But what they were used to doing, the things that worked in the past, weren't working in this current situation. And notice what Jesus said in verse 29. When they said, why could we not cast it out? He said, he said this kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. In other words, what he tells them is this. You can't do what I do publicly unless you do what I do privately. You see, Jesus had drawn near to the Father intentionally so that the Father could fill his life with the things that he's called him to utilize and to do in his life. The problem is, especially in modern Christianity, is we think the moment of salvation changes everything. Now listen, it changes your eternity. It changes your life. But you're bringing all your stuff into this. And it's all forgiven. But there's some stuff you're bringing into this that Jesus is going to have to heal along the way. And it's through a process. Can I just tell you what this process is called in a theological term is sanctification. And sanctification, big word, what it literally means is to be set apart. That's it. That's all it means. You'll hear a lot of it. Anything else is just extra explaining. It means to be set apart. So there are two things that happens. At salvation, you are instantly set apart. You have set your life apart to serve Christ. But there is also an ongoing setting apart sanctification that takes place in your life. 
The best way I know to explain it is in the Old Testament, if you were to bring something to the temple, like a vessel or something, and you say, I am devoting this to God. I'm giving this to God. The moment you release it, it is sanctified, set apart for service unto God. The moment you release it. But before it ever gets used, each time it gets used, it is washed, it was washed by the priest and the Levites in order to be utilized and pure that day. So it was an immediate setting apart, and then every time it is going to be used, there is a continual setting apart and cleansing. And we do this in our lives as well. We accept Christ as Lord and Savior in our life, and we immediately are set apart for his service and his glory. But then there is a daily action being washed by the water of the word of God in our lives that continually sets us up to be filled more with his power and his authority and his glory and his purpose in our lives. And until we understand that, we're always going to be frustrated in this. Because listen, here's something I want you to understand. Grace saves you, but it doesn't make decisions for you. The Holy Spirit gives you power, but you have to wield the power. So that means it involves our choices in this. And those choices that we have, the actions that we take, are called spiritual disciplines. I don't have time to go through all of them in 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 an in-depth way. Um, I've done that in a previous um, message. But I just want to remind you of some of these. And I've separated them into two categories. Disciplines of abstinence and disciplines of engagement. So the first is abstinence. These are things that you do away with and and, and not for, for a season. So these are occasional. Okay, so one of them is called solitude. This is getting away, getting away from people, getting away from noise, getting away from devices, all those things. Solitude, time that you spend with God. One's called silence. Man, this one's hard for us. Go somewhere, set your timer on your phone for two minutes and refuse to hear any noise and just be in silence. It will feel like an eternity for you. I did a message years ago at a church I pastored, and I was talking about what God accomplished in those 400 years between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And to illustrate it, there's 400 years. To illustrate it, we intentionally just had 40 seconds of silence. 40 seconds of silence. Didn't tell anybody, didn't do anything, just 40 seconds of silence. The music ended, I was supposed to come up and preach, started the clock, nobody moved, 40 seconds of silence. It was so awkward In 40 seconds, people were squirming, fidgeting. They didn't know what to do. Literally had two people. One, like 14 seconds in, just said, amen. (laughs) And I'm like, amen means let it be so. What do you want to let it be so at this moment in time? There's just silence. A few seconds later, somebody goes, preach it, brother. I'm not even up there. (laughs) They couldn't take the silence. Can I just tell you something? You need silence in your life because so many times you demand for God to thunder into the chaos of your life when he wants to whisper into the moments where you are silent and give you the answer. Solitude, silence, fasting, what you're doing right now, frugality. This is, this is intentionally not purchasing things for a window of time. Now, listen to me not talking about Dave Ramsey. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about your financial health. I'm saying to say for a certain window of time, I will not buy anything but appreciate everything that I have. It's frugality. That's all it is. It has nothing. Look, if you're doing it, okay, that would be like fasting for a diet. Don't do that. Don't do frugality to save money. That's not it. It's to focus your attention on God. Chastity. 
putting aside your desires for a certain amount of time in order to concentrate on God. Secrecy. This means to remain hidden. Can I tell you, um, the more responsibility you have at work or the higher level you serve at wherever you are at work or job, whatever, this becomes more and more important. This is to intentionally hide yourself from any praise or honor and point it to someone else. Secrecy is an intentional act of humility so that others may be honored and God may be glorified. And then sacrifice. Something of sacrificial giving that you do for someone else. Those are occasional. Those are disciplines of abstinence. You do away with some things. Then there are the disciplines of engagement. These are consistent. Bible study. Worship. Both at home and publicly. Together, corporately. Celebration. We don't do this one very well. Celebrate. So let me give you a suggestion. Next Sunday, when we end the fast with Holy Communion, okay, when that's done, you go out that day. Don't go out that day and say, thank God I can eat cake again. <laughs> that's, that's relief. That's not celebration. Okay? Pick a day next week of some time where you go out and you enjoy the greatest foods you love and instead of relief, celebrate and say, thank you, God, for the good things you've given me in my life. Because God has called us to seasons of fasting and feasting. And so many times we only focus on fasting and forget to rejoice in the Lord because the joy of the Lord is our strength. Intentionally celebrating. Service to serve others on a consistent basis. Finding your gifts and talents and serving other people. Prayer. Fellowship, meaning a community of believers. And confession. This is finding those one or two people in your life that you trust, that will pray with you, and according to James chapter 5, you can confess your sins one to another that you may be healed in your life. Spiritual disciplines of abstinence and engagement. What would happen in your life if those became a reality? You'd be more comfortable being alone and quiet. You would enjoy nice things, but you wouldn't necessarily have to have them. You'd feel desires, but you wouldn't feel entitled to them. You'd be okay not receiving attention or applause, but rather pointing it to someone else and helping them accomplish their dreams. You'd feel like you were growing in knowledge and biblical depth and intimacy with God in a community of believers who love you and are willing to hold you accountable and sustain you and pick you up when you're down and rejoice with you when you are celebrating. In other words, you'd be a lot more like Jesus. And to the degree that those things aren't true in your life is how much that you need the experience, the life, and the power of Jesus. And that comes through the choices you make and the actions that you take with your spiritual disciplines. Now, you may be here and say, I, I hear you, man. But I've tried this stuff. I'm not very good at it. Let me give you two things to remember. The first one is this. Spiritual disciplines are learned. They're not earned. Okay? God doesn't just gift some people and say, oh, I'm going to give you these spiritual disciplines, and they're going to be easy for you. No. 
You've got to learn it. You've got to step into that. So when you draw near to God, you take incremental steps, and God will draw near to you. You'll learn these things. And putting pressure on yourself won't help anything. Just take a step of faith. Take a step of faith and read your Bible. Pray. Worship. Get in fellowship. Take a step of faith in that. The second thing is this. You'll get better. Every time you do it, you'll get a little bit better. And no one is naturally good at them. Today isn't a day of self-reflection. It's not a day of introspection. It's not a day for emotional healing. No. Today is a day of decisions. And you have to know who you are and why you do what you do. And you have to know God's power is available to you. But you also have to know that there are steps that you can take that allow your heart to open up to the good things that God wants to do in your life. And those are called spiritual disciplines. And I want to challenge you today. Like Joshua did the people in Joshua 24 and 15. He said, today I set before you life and death. He said, choose today who you will serve. But as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. That's not just an instantaneous thing because he's consistently telling the people, meditate on God's law every single day. Put it in your heart. You make a choice today and then you make choices every single day. And listen, if you feel like you fall back, make a choice to just take one step closer to him. If you feel like you took one step forward and two steps back, that's okay. Just draw near to him and he'll draw near to you. Do not allow the enemy to put on you a sense of guilt about the times you failed in the past when Christ is simply drawing and bidding you to come near to him because his deepest desire is to be near to you. Listen, if he came to this earth and gave his life for your life and my life, don't you think he wants to be as close to you as you want to be with him? Would you bow your heads, close your eyes? The biggest decision you have to make today is, is whether Christ is Lord of your life. And if you came into this room today or watching online and you know things weren't right between you and the Lord, that can change today by following him and making him Lord of your life. You just simply need to pray something like this. Lord Jesus, I thank you for what you've done and I thank you for the promises that you've given to me. I ask you today to, to, to take my past and remove it from me. Remove the sins, remove the shame. I ask you to forgive me of all those things I've done. And at the same time, I'm asking you to be the Lord of my life. Lead it through your word and through your spirit. I will never be the same. Now, if everyone in the room, just pray this prayer profession. Say, Jesus, I give you my life. Come on, say, Jesus, I give you my life. Now, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, if that's you, you say, that's my decision. I'm following him for the first time or the first time in a long time. I'm not here to embarrass you or call you out. I want to pray for you this week, but I want you to be bold for just a moment so I can pray for you. If that's you, you know when you came in here, things weren't right, but you made a decision to follow Christ. Would you just raise your hand really high this morning so I can pray for you? Okay, just leave them up just a moment. Thank you. Thank you. Yep, thank you. Thank you so much. All right, you can put them down. Now I'm gonna ask another question while your heads are bowed. If you're in this room and you say, Pastor, that's me, I struggle. 
there seems to be a constant struggle and I seem to be taking steps forward, but I seem to be taking steps back and I just get constantly discouraged. Would you pray for me this week and the weeks following that I will begin to take consistent steps toward drawing near to God so I can experience the life and power of Christ in me like never before. If that's you, would you just raise your hand really high? Oh my goodness, you're not alone. Yep. Oh my goodness, yeah. God's gonna answer that prayer today. All right, you can put them down. Father, thank you for the lives that have been changed by the power of the good news and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, that in these moments that we celebrate renewed life, but at the same time, we celebrate renewed strength in our own lives, God. Those that you have saved in the past that have been struggling, Lord, I pray that there be no condemnation on them, oh God. I pray that they're free from any condemnation that might be trying to put on them by the enemy. But Lord, I pray that you would just give them a sense of liberty and freedom and also love and joy and peace. And I pray that as they take the steps they need to take, Lord, that as they draw near to you, they would, you would draw near to them and they would feel a sense of your presence and your power in their life that would change things. And God, as you do these things in us, fulfill your will. Help us to do your purpose. Help us to find the destiny you've placed for us. And Lord, when we do these things, we're going to give you all the praise and all the honor and all the glory. In the wonderful and mighty name of Jesus Christ, we pray these things. Amen and amen. Hey, will you celebrate with me? Two people gave their hearts to Jesus today. Amen. so excited about that and excited about this final week of prayer and fasting. I'm praying for you. Don't forget about next Sunday as well. And um, I'm really praying for this uh, as we finish this to just really begin to do something, God do something really special next Sunday. Uh, I've asked uh, pastors Jason and Drew to come to give you a little bit of information uh, about some upcoming things. So will you welcome them as they come? Hey, everybody. I just had a hard time getting out of the chair. 40s are tough. I'm just... I don't know why I even said that other than just want you to know I'm a real person like you. Hey, welcome to North. So glad that you're here today. want to close out today with uh, quick information. Uh, I'm really excited. If you were here last year, you heard Pastor Kirk talk about Pastor Drew joining the Connections team. He's our Connections pastor. He's part of my larger team, the Experiences team. Yeah, you can welcome him. Put your hands together. That's good. Really glad he's on board with the team. Drew, what's the one thing that excites you the most about being the Connections pastor? Uh, working for you. Oh, thanks, yeah, so, man. No, I'll, I'll, I'll say that my... Just, you get a raise. Congratulations. Oh, thank you, thank you. No, I, I love helping people understand their purpose in the body of Christ and helping them specifically find their place here at North. Where can we, where can we put you? Where, how can we unlock what the Lord's doing in your life here at North? It's exciting. It's exciting. It is exciting, and we need your help with that. In two weeks, two weeks from today, we've got a special day planned. It's called Super Sunday. You know, two weeks from now, it's the Super Bowl, and we're going to have a little fun here on campus. Uh, we're going to have some experiences out in the lobby, some fun things that we're going to do that day. We're calling it Super Sunday, but we've got a challenge for you. What's that challenge, Drew? That challenge is everyone in this room, hold up a, a one. If you're online, hold up a one. Who is your one? one person that you can invite to Super Sunday. I've, I've heard it said this way, who's one person that's close to you, but maybe is far from the Lord? Or not only that, someone maybe who just needs to understand an experienced Christ-centered community. Who's that one person that you can invite to Super Sunday? Pastor Jason. So you got that challenge. I want you to invite somebody to church on Super Sunday. Let's fill this place up with people. And listen, it's gonna be fun out in the lobbies, but that's just the hook. 
The real meat of the day is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Pastor Kurt's going to be sharing the gospel that day. He's going to introduce people to the love of Jesus. And we want people to hear that message. Amen? It's a message worth hearing. It's life-changing. So invite somebody to join you here at North on Super Sunday. I invite you to stand with me now as we close our service today. I get the great honor and privilege of blessing you today as we prepare to go into our week. The Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you, be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his countenance towards you and give you peace. Let's give our response from Psalm 19. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. God bless you. Have a great afternoon. We love you.